0: designer kate bendewald here do you know about designers oasis and the template shop i'm so excited to share with you the new e-design toolkit with everything you need to confidently offer a luxury e-design experience for your clients let's be honest e-design has inherent pitfalls like can you actually trust your clients measurements and how do you charge for your e-design services i'll give you a hint i charge the exact same rate as i do for full service clients The eDesign Toolkit covers all of this. In the toolkit, you'll receive my own lawyer vetted legal agreement for eDesign services, an $800 value, hello, a take and tweak explanation of eDesign services that you can use on your website or when you're talking to interested clients. Also included is a detailed overview of our eDesign workflow. You can use it as is or customize it with your own ideas. Perhaps my favorite part of the toolkit is the fully customizable and brandable client homework kit that you can send your client with instructions on how to measure, how to take inventory of existing items, and more. You guys, you have to make this as easy on your clients as possible, and this toolkit has everything you need to do just that. It is this process and this toolkit which is exactly why I'm able to charge top dollar for this luxury e-design service, and you can too. And as a bonus, you'll get a recording of the live training we did a few months ago where I go into detail on how I provide my clients a seamless e-design experience. All right, head over to designersoasis.com forward slash shop right now to pick up the e-design toolkit. And exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can get 10% off with the code edesign10. Don't worry if you're driving, we'll link it in the show notes. Again, that's designersoasis.com and use the code edesign 10 All right, now on to the show. Hey, I'm Kate Bendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. We're interior designers who have been meeting every Friday for coffee to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our design businesses and decided to hit the record button. We are designers getting coffee
1: with each other. And now you. While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their design success, we've chosen to support, encourage, and empower one another to be the most kick-ass business owners possible.
0: Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation.
1: This is episode 46 with body language expert, Nancy Ganzakoffer. You guys have heard us talk about Nancy before, we adore her. Nancy is a sought after speaker, author, and business coach to interior designers and an expert in topics like marketing, sales, profitability, and systems for your interior design business. She is also recently certified as a body language expert, which is pretty much the coolest thing I've ever heard. She teaches designers how to have the confidence to charge what they're worth, how to succeed in sales without feeling salesy, and how to authentically position themselves in their market for maximum visibility. We are so excited to introduce you to Nancy. So Nancy, welcome to the show. Hello ladies. This is so much fun. We have missed you. I know we've talked about you. you. I know, and we've talked about you so often on this podcast before. I'm sure our listeners are tired of hearing about you. So I'm glad we actually get to introduce them to you today, because as I think they all know by now, Kate and I have both worked with you as our business coach, and we have nothing but wonderful things to say. So thank you for being here with us today.
2: Thank you for having me, and I have been watching your progress, and you guys are killing it. I love it.
0: Oh, well big thanks to you uh, yeah. for, for, for that. Oh man. Just the first time we all popped up on the screen together, it felt like deja vu for me <laughs> in a big way. Cause I think at first we did some group coaching for a minute with you before we kind of went off to do individual coaching. So yes. even though Leslie was in the same town as me, we would all three be on this platform on like a, a weekly or monthly basis, which was a, a really good
2: time. So It's exciting. I can't believe how many of my past interior design clients coached with me that are now on to doing well in their businesses as interior designers, but also starting new things as coaches and podcasters and web designers and... um, you know, who uh, Kelly Fridline is doing the- Oh yeah, uh, the renderings. The the renderings and that teaching teaching people how to do that. Uh, When I actually made a list of all the people, Alison Solar, kitchen and bath coach, she started with me as- right. I'm in her Facebook group. (laughs) Yes, you know, so it's so exciting to me because I always say, teach people everything you know, everything you know, don't hold back because it allows you to rise up to the next level. And they then start, you know- Doing their best, and it's just so exciting to see. I love it. That's amazing. So, in
0: addition to coaching interior designers um, from a business aspect, you also coach coaches, right?
2: Are you still doing that? I do. I coach coaches. I have a new group. Uh, it's up. It's not really advertised yet. It's called Ooh. the Coaching Hotspot. Uh, so the coaching hotspot.com will actually take you there. We are letting people in. I haven't started putting a ton of content in there yet, but I coach other coaches. Yes. Come on in. Um, uh, I, (laughs) I am starting to teach people how I grew my coaching business in the last four and a half years to where we stand today, which is really rocking and rolling and smooth, um, and exciting, but I still coach interior designers and I coach other service-based entrepreneurs, web designers. If you, you, you guys know, i coached a lot of web designers, social media marketers, and yeah. I even coached a um, dog trainer once.
0: <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Well, you know, I know that Service. the, you know, the, there's the, the themes of in, the, the unique business model of interior design is one thing. So I, I very much get why a, business coach specific to that niche is so important, but at the same time, a lot of the principles still apply to any service based business. So, um, I can, I can very much see the value in that, uh, you said so many times (laughs) that it's just drilled in my head, niche is rich, broad is broke. (laughs) And, uh, and so I get that too. Um, so I want to hear, so so many of our listeners are people who are in the process of thinking about transitioning from one career to interior design. So I love to share stories of career changes. Um, would you mind sharing with our audience what you did before coaching and how you made that transition?
2: Okay, I'll try to make it quick. Um, <laughs> we've got time. <laughs> so out of college, I went right into banking. And I started out as a collector or a customer service rep or a collector. I think I did both. Mm-hmm. And over the next 10 years, raised up to the level of first vice president, managing the mortgage servicing department. Had 150 wow. people reporting to me through three managers and uh, three departments. And I started having kids, which we all know can derail your life just a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Okay. So I started having kids. After my second, I decided to get out of the banking industry to take a package because it was really too much for my oldest child to be in daycare 10 hours a day. And for me to have a line in the morning, I was a workaholic, still am. I go in there so early in the morning, and there's a line of people waiting for you. Then you have a kid crying, and you guys know, pregnant. It's like, oh, got to get out of here. So I took a package. I got paid to have my second child. Stayed home as a stay-at-home mom for two years, but of course, had to do something. So I went back and became a personal fitness instructor. I uh, went back to Hofstra University. Yeah, I don't know if you ladies even know this whole story, I but did. I feel like
0: it's just been so long. But I, yeah, this is sounds familiar, right? Yeah, no, this is exciting.
2: Okay, so I went back to Hofstra University. I had my degree in business from Adelphi, and I went back to Hofstra University here on Long Island in New York, and I became a personal fitness instructor. They hired me as an instructor for Hofstra for personal training once I passed that. And by the way, personal trainers, you feel like you're going for your, like to be a doctor. It's ridiculous how much you need to know. And I was not good at it, but somehow I I passed it. So I did, I started a business in my basement training other moms with kids. I had a whole gym uh, there. And that was really kind of my first business that I started. So I worked at Hofstra. I worked at New York sports and fitness at a gym when my husband would come home from work. I would say, see ya, take care of the kids, gotta go. Um, And I trained mommies during the day in the basement. So that lasted about three and a half years until I got pregnant with my third child. I always had bad... Pregnancies. So I was bedridden for most of the pregnancies. So there went the personal training. And when he was born, he had um, a heart anomaly called transposition of the great vessels. He had to have open heart surgery at five days old and he was quarantined for two years. So that's. Wow. It's so funny. It still gives me goosebumps. I am
0: like head to toe gooses right now. Yeah.
2: So I have have a four year old and a two, a four and a half year old, a two and a half year old, and a newborn. That's very sick in and out of hospitals and quarantine. So PS,
0: having a four year old myself, I am just like, how, how did you
2: do it? I mean, that could be its own episode, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, how did you, how did you deal with that? I told my friends used to say to me, we don't know how you're doing it. I'm like, I, I exercise every morning and I drink wine every night and I really (laughs) wasn't joking. I like, that's what I did. And you know, I am divorced now, but my husband was great at helping with the kids and, we just really took turns and it was hard. We did have help in the house two days a week so I could go and pick up my other two from school some days. And of course the neighborhoods, you know, neighborhoods just chip in and help you out when there's an emergency. So two years of quarantine, the minute he was out of quarantine, um, he went to school. I was like, mommy of the year, time to go to school. Enough enough around uh, adults. Uh, so when he went to school, and by the way, he's 21 next month. Is and, this Caden? This is Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, We
0: Kayden's know Caden because he helped with your business, but okay. Yes. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. Caden worked for me for three years, my oldest, and I have Laura in my middle. So 26, 24, and almost 21 is now the ages of my kids. Oh my so two years after... Kevin was uh, born and out of quarantine. My mother, who was an artist living in Las Vegas, called me and said, I just am a piling up the artwork. I just don't want to try to sell it. It's not my thing. I'm just going to I'm just going to give it all away. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. I'm a businesswoman. I'm looking for my next thing. Send it to me. So she sent me all her artwork. I started having home art parties at friends and family houses, asking them to invite their friends and family. It was Pathetic. I would work sixty hours, invitations, wine and cheese, and planning and calling and, and getting the artwork ready and buying sticky tack so I could put it on their walls. After sixty hours of working, I would make sixty dollars and thirty of it would go to my mother. So, but it was fun. You know what? Young moms was like, that sounds like a blast. <laughs> <laughs> it was friends wine art it's the entertainer in me is, is loving it <laughs> All right so it was fun and here was a person who never ever went to home parties never pamper chef never jewelry parties I'd be like no thank you can't make it that night I hated home parties <laughs> yeah, now here I was having No, you're hosting them So as many of you know, and uh, who have naysayers in their life, there are people who put doubt, like, why are you doing what you're doing? And I just kept saying, I don't know, I'm on to something. Like, I know I'm working a ridiculous amount of hours and I'm on to something, but I didn't know what it was. And then one day an interior designer walked into one of the parties and said, I have a client that that piece of art would be perfect for their bathroom. I want to design the whole bathroom around it, but can you bring it to the house? I was like, absolutely. When I'm at the house, client loved it. She says, can you help us frame it? I'm like, no problem. I knew nothing about framing, I knew nothing about artwork. I didn't know you had to put matting on watercolors and not on canvases and all this stuff, but it was my light bulb moment. Interior designers' clients appreciated the service. So who was my ideal client? Interior designers. And that's where it started with my saying that I'm known for, niche is rich and broad is broke. I was being very broad with who I was trying to sell to. Now I honed in on interior designers. Where do interior designers hang out? I don't know. Let me Google it. Started Googling, found the uh, Interior Design Society and the ASID. Never joined ASID because they didn't have any events here on Long Island joined the IDS, went up the ranks from vice president of the Long Island chapter to president to, um, virtual chapter founder and president now executive board member, because, because that's how you roll. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I roll. but here's the thing I, and I just did a masterclass on this the other day, um, finding your ideal client or identifying who they are is only the first step. Then it's like, how do you get into the conversation? Yes. And that's the key. And that's what my masterclass was on last week. So um, we had about 30 attendees. It was $47. It was really reasonable. And I just said, pen and paper, everyone, because here we go. And it was how to get into the conversation with your ideal client, not just online, where do they congregate, but also where do they search and then how you have to be where they congregate and you have to be where they search. And then you have to be able to identify whether they're running away from pain or running towards pleasure and have the conversation so they can hear it. So PS, I ran 17 years expressive living, art, framing, and accessories from that one light bulb moment of I knew designers were my ideal client. And when I turned 50, and I was now divorced, not because of my business, um, I I always have to say that. uh, (laughs) I realized that I was 50, my kids were going all out of the house. I didn't want to carry shit around for a living anymore. It was, you know, it it was hard. 500 pieces of artwork, framing, it's heavy. In and out of vans, my showrooms in my second floor, so down and up the stairs all day because it was a shop at home for art, framing and accessories. So I decided to sit down and really think for over two years, what do people come to me for? And as I started to observe, it wasn't just for artwork. It was Nancy. I'm having trouble with a staff member. I don't know how to handle this. I need to fire them. I don't know how to do that. Nancy, this client doesn't want to pay me. I'm not sure what to do. Then it was I can't. I can't run a profitable business. I can't find client. My pipeline's empty. I'm not making enough money. And I was and I was giving all this advice for free to the local designers, which I was happy to do. But that was my next light bulb moment. Right? It was like I can take my superpower, which is sales and marketing and running a profitable business. And stop carrying around stuff for a living and just talk for a living, which is what I used to get in trouble in school for. And now <laughs> and now that's four and a half years ago. So I've been running wow. a business. I actually call myself Your Business Partner. That's the official name of my business. But I'm branded as my name. And now I teach interior designers and other service-based entrepreneurs how to grow their businesses.
0: Oh, my gosh. What a journey. I have to ask you. Do you know your enneagram number? Are you into that? Well, Leslie isn't. I no.
2: am. wait. I have it written down because I can't remember. I don't know. <laughs> That's if how I'm. I am with Myers Briggs. I can never remember what I am because it always. I changes. can't remember either one, but I love those things and I'm always taking them. Let me see if I my. Like, my
0: hunch tells me that she's a seven because you have so mm-hmm. much energy and um, you're attracted to so many different types of things. But I don't know all of them super well. I know seven because I am a seven, but.
2: I can't find it, but somebody else said the same number to me. So I'm sure that's <laughs> what
0: it is. We'll seven, is the enthu- seven is the enthusiast. And uh, I just, I get a lot of enthusiasm from you, which I love.
2: Oh, yay, Thank you.
0: But okay. I, I don't know. I, you're not supposed to name other people and tell them what they are, they're supposed to figure it out for themselves. But anyway, it's just a. I took an I just listening don't to you talk about your. Um, you know, this arc of your career path and how, you know, it's changed a number of times. Um, You know, I talked to a lot of designers who, um, you mentioned naysayers in their life. Like they're wanting to change to interior design, um, but they're, you know, they're faced with naysayers in their life, people that have their doubts and, you know, people like that around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So people like you, me and Leslie, you know, are, are trying to work with these designers to give them the tools and the numbers and the confidence they need to, to kind of move past that. And, um, just listening to your story, I'm, I'm hearing so many stories of just, well, it's, it's confidence, but it's also, just being really creative, being um, sticking with it, you know, fighting for for this idea, or fighting for what it is that you really want to do, and and I'm I love those stories. So thanks for for sharing that
2: with us. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a hard thing, you know. What it's really teaching people how to have grit and tenacity, and that's really what takes you past it, and turning the naysayers into motivation. Because yeah. you know, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty stubborn, and <laughs> If someone tells me I can't do something, I'm like, uh, watch me. Yeah, And that's what really, when I started to identify the naysayers, I went, wait a minute. Like, that's why I'm so insecure. That's why I have imposter syndrome. Because they are subtly and so kindly, because they love me, yeah. putting yeah. doubt into my mind. Yeah. Because they're giving me what they call a reality check. And you know what? No. I here's the bottom line if you have faith in yourself, then anything you take on, you'll be able to do. So, it's first step is getting the faith in yourself that you're going to say yes and you're going to figure it out.
0: Yeah, I uh. I might need to have a session with you because I am the same way. I, I come from a long line of stubborn women um, and I don't need anybody's permission to do anything really. That's right. <laughs> and so when I talk to people that feel like they need permission to do these things that they're passionate about and they're working really hard toward, I, you know, my, my personality is to be like, I, I'm sorry, you don't need permission to do this. You, right. you need you need to do the work and figure it out and make smart decisions and do your research and those sort of things. But I, I do, I do, I'm just being honest and sort of going off on riffing here for a second, but I need help understanding that personality type that, um, and, and, and I get it and I respect it. One of my, you know, best friends and I who feel differently about this, we've had these conversations personally. Um, but it's real and I, and it's rooted in, um, you know, real life experiences. So I don't ever want to just miss somebody that uh, is having that experience. But I'm a lot like you, Nancy. was just like, no, we just, we do the things that we want to do. <laughs>
2: yeah. so. And it is real. It is real. And you actually, it doesn't go away. You battle it over and over again because it keeps, it keeps coming up. Yeah. And here's what basically happens. Once you learn how to deal with it, it may have taken a month, to come down from a situation that happened in the past. And then it, mm-hmm. when you really work on it, it takes two weeks and then a week. And then it's like m- minutes. You identify it. You know it just happened. Someone's making a naysayer. And you quickly recover because you've identified it and you've shifted gears. So it takes a little mm-hmm. deep digging um and ways of shifting your mindset. But it's so yeah. difficult. So doable.
1: It's especially timely right now with everything going on in the world and how we've had to all pivot our businesses in one way or another. And I know, like Kate mentioned earlier, a lot of our audience are people who are in a different career that are wanting to become designers. And I think that, you know, not needing permission, watch me do this is amazing because, Mm -hmm. Kate, I'm going to acknowledge the Enneagram. I'm a one. I'm a perfectionist.
2: (laughs) I hate the Enneagram. (laughs)
1: and. (laughs) I know for me, it's it's so encouraging to listen to you two talk about like, the naysayers get me charged. I'm like, the naysayers make me want to crawl in bed and cry. <laughs> and I don't have that same rah, rah, rah. But I love to, it's so encouraging because that's something that I've always felt like is I need permission. And I'm like, when someone's going to tell me I can't do this. It's like, no, you're you're 36 years old. You can you can do what you want, girl.
2: <laughs> you know You know what though? But what you're doing by coaching other people is you're reinforcing the messages to yourself as well. Right. So you're going, you, you, when you coached with me, you definitely, you may be a one, but there's a seven inside of you. It, there always was, there was, there always is, I should say is. So it's just, it might take you a little longer. You might need to do a little bit more work on it, but you coaching other people through it's going to really help you reinforce and get better and better at it. So that's the best part.
1: Well, that was one th- thing I definitely loved about coaching with you is that you're just always so tuned into people and behaviors and mindset and that that ties us into sort of what we wanted to really address today is this yes. whole thing you've been doing with body language and you were in the process of getting certified as a science of people, body language certified trainer. Is that the correct term? Yeah.
2: I am. And I'm currently a were, certified body language trainer. Also. Oh my yes. God. You were
1: telling me this when we were coaching together and- I mean, I just see so much possibility with this for how you can teach others to use body language in their business. So can you share with us, because I don't even really know, what exactly does it mean to be, this sounds very sexy, an expert in body language, Nancy?
2: (laughs) Well, (laughs) can I I, I make my voice match um, the sexy tone? I don't think so. I've never had a sexy tone. So, you know, here's the bottom line. We send social signals all the time to other people. And it's not before you even open your mouth, you are sending social signals by not just your facial expressions, but your body, full body language. It's really your nonverbal brand that we're talking about. But it actually does also incorporate the language you use, your hand gestures, literally where your feet are facing, what your hands are doing, where your eyes are looking. Uh, Whether you're smiling, whether you're not, whether you're tilting your head, there are micro expressions that once you start to recognize them, you can really tell what someone's really thinking. Um, It's incredibly fascinating and it's endless amount of learning that I still do on a weekly basis. From a young age, when I worked in banking, I'm only five foot and a half, but I say five foot one. Um, so when people meet me in person, they're like, "Oh, you're so cute." I'm like, "No, not that
0: cute." <laughs> <laughs> I, you really? I've no. So th- we were just saying before we got on uh, to record that it's a shame that we've actually never met in person, and I we know. do need to make that happen soon. But I, I think I too would be shocked to see you for the first time.
1: And be like, "Oh, hi!" <laughs> <laughs> How tall are you, Kate? Not much taller. <laughs>
2: oh, good. And you, Leslie? I'm five eight. I'm going to crush you. You're going to crush (laughs) me. I remember the first time I met Dixie Willard. um, She's very tall. And I was like, oh, my God, I always thought you were so tiny because she has the cutest little tiny face. Right. But she's so tall. And I was like, she was like, you're so short. You're such a big personality on them on my videos. But anyway, very funny. So when I was in banking, I had a boss that was six foot two. And here I was five foot one. And my friend and I, she was a senior vice president. I was a first vice president. We're standing side by side with our heads looking way up at him. We were kind of like too close to him. And we're like, and like, we're trying to say how we want to do something in our departments. And we had that conversation. He walks out and my friend Linda looks at me and goes, did you just feel like two little girls talking to their father? And I'm like, yeah, that was like, not right. Like we are vice presidents. This is not like, this was an icky feeling. So I was in my twenties at that point. So I quickly started back then searching on uh, what I could do to equalize my, and get respect as a woman in banking at five oh, for one. Wow. And it's funny. It's always been an interest of mine. And when I went through the branding process for my website, they asked me if you could invite five people to your to a dinner party, who would it be? And all the people I named or two, three of the people I named seemed to have a science behind what they taught. And I guess I always had that imposter syndrome, like here I am teaching certain things that like I'm based on my life experiences, which again, I'm very good at what I do, but I had this thing in the back of my head, like I wanted to put science behind it. Um, and one of the people I wanted to invite to my dinner table was Vanessa Van Edwards of the Science of People, who is a body language trainer. She's amazing. She's actually a scientist. And one day I just pulled the trigger. I said, "You know what? I have always wanted to be um, have science behind what I teach and body language. So changes your sales success rate, your marketing, your relationships, your networking, and when." She taught us many of the things I already did naturally, which was so nice to see, but there was so much more I didn't do. But whether you're perceived as a leader or a follower, whether you're perceived as being controlling your jobs as interior designers, it's a lot based on uh, many interior designers are just givers, 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 and they're creatives. And they often don't aren't perceived as the leaders and get taken an advantage by their clients So this body language really puts it in your favor when you're dealing with them right from the beginning. It helps with your closing rate all the way through to the end of the job. So now I incorporate that when I coach with people. When they coach with me, I teach them the body language as well.
0: I love it. I have so many questions and I can't wait to dive into this a little more. I just real quick. When I learned that you had finished this certification, I thought to myself, I can see how important this is so that you can read other people and get to know what's in their mind. And just listening to you talk and like, and it's so important that, you know, understand body language. So you can also present yourself in the best way. So it goes, it goes both ways. And and I think that's, that's fascinating. Um, So tell us what are um, some of the common or like, what are just a couple of things subtle shifts that we could make in our own body language when, when talking to people that can shift us from a place of perhaps feeling insecure or small (laughs) and putting us into a place of feeling more, more confident.
2: Okay. There's so many tips, but one of the favorite ones is your eye contact, your type of eye contact. So there are three types of eye contact. So one is, yes, it's so fascinating. And you want to start, before I even start telling you what they are, the exercise is over the next week, start to see which one you default to and whether it's serving you well in your life. And I'm going to explain each of them. And because we're just in voice, I'm going to have to do a really good job of describing them. But when you're looking into someone's eyes, you are connecting with them. So first of all, eye contact is very important. Not staring them down, looking away once in a while, looking back. That's all normal. But when you are looking in their eyes, your eyes are really not straight looking at them all the time. Your eyes sort of wander around. So one of the things that you default to most people, especially designers, and I did this live uh, from stage and I went down into the audience and I made them pair up. And creatives tend to default to what's called a social gaze. I want to be your friend. I'm your friend gaze, which is when you look in their eyes and you let your eyes wander in a downward triangle to your nose. So it's like a triangle. Your eyes are straight across and it's down to your tip of your nose. That's where your eyes sort of float naturally if you're a social gazer. Social gazer is I want to be your friend, right? But when you're negotiating money, you want to take that triangle and you want to invert it up where your eyes are looking in their eyes, but never float below their eye level. You're actually looking when your eyes float, you let them float more towards the forehead, not below eye level. Does that make sense?
1: I'm like yes. literally staring off into space, picturing someone's face right now. I'm like, which one do I do? Okay. okay. you. I can feel so, my eyes shifting
0: as you're saying that Take and it's notice. subtle but i could what is the reason
2: for that okay so that's called the power gaze when you actually invert the triangle where the straight line is still at eye level but the tip of the triangle is up towards the forehead that's called the power gaze the power gaze again, you're not beady eyed staring someone down. But eyes, it's important <laughs> to, be to, clear. Say that. to be clear, <laughs> do not stare them down. But notice where your eyes naturally wander, and you don't want your eyes to wander below eye level, and that automatically, subconsciously, puts you into a more leadership power position with the person you're speaking to. So, there's one other gaze we'll just touch on. Um, that it's everyone always laughs because I I can't teach it too deeply because I'm usually doing these at business seminars, um, but technically I could do dating seminars too because Ooh. it's the intimate gaze. The intimate gaze starts at the eye level and the triangle goes down all the way to the base of your neck. So that's probably the way you. <laughs> I was going
1: to guess a couple house. inches lower,
2: but that makes sense too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it depends on who's looking at who. Um, there are things that can change the gaze, meaning if you're wearing a big, loud necklace, or, you you know, you, you can change what people focus on. But in general, you have the social gaze, the power gaze, and then the intimate gaze. Now, I had um, an interior designer client about a year and a half ago, and she met with a client twice trying to close a deal. We worked on her wording as well, but... The last call, I said, do me a favor. I'm going to teach you power gaze versus social gaze. She's like, oh, my God, I'm such a social gazer. I want to be friends with everybody. I'm like, let's try the power gaze. And we practice via video because all my coaching is done via Zoom. And she literally called me from her car. She's like, that's the only thing I changed. And I just closed the deal. And I'm like, get out of here. That's so exciting. Yes, yes. I love it. So if you guys start to observe, yeah, you probably are social gazers. Unless like I really had to do the opposite of what most people have to do. I'm naturally a power gazer. So when I'm in a room, they automatically look at me like as as a leader. And I never knew that I power gazed. And I never knew that I did other body language things that automatically have me identified as a leader. But now I have to be conscious to social gaze. Like if I want to be friendly Mm -hmm. error with people, as opposed to just like, I know what I'm doing. I'm in charge. Like, I don't know, (laughs) but I have to actually do the opposite. So notice how you're gazing, but also now this is what you were talking about, Kate. There's encoding your own body language on other people. And then there's decoding their body language, right? So you want to see how they're looking at you and often, sorry for any men who are listening Often men are power gazers to women they're negotiating with and to other men. It's like a a competition of power gazing. So you want to take note if someone's power gazing at you, you want to make sure you're power gazing back. And that's one of the things that you can use to equalize. And if you just power gaze and you're talking to uh, someone trying to close a deal, you'll be more likely to close that deal.
1: This is such a good thing to have in our toolboxes. Next time we go, I cannot wait to go talk to a new client and just test this out and see what happens. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's so, actually fascinating.
1: Well, and I can find, you know, I'm I'm
0: watching Chris Voss's uh, The Art of Negotiation Masterclass right now, and I can see incorporating what he's teaching with this. It's, it's so interesting. I have a logistics question. Let's how, does the do the different gazes become harder or easier if big height Changes in, like you mentioned, your boss who was six something and you were five feet. Um, does
1: does gotta like look that
0: like that change? <laughs> does that change things? Does that make it harder or more awkward, or is it? Am I okay. overthinking it?
2: <laughs> no, you're not overthinking it because there is a really uh, distinct way of equalizing height differences. So one way is just to sit. Yeah. Make sure you're sitting instead of standing. Would you like to sit down and discuss this? So if someone's trying to intimidate you in their um, physical stature, it's called posturing. You definitely can equalize one by stepping back further by two turning to the side. Three sitting down. You can even equalize it more by leaning up against the table where you're kind of sitting on the edge of the table. It tends to bring you back a little further and equalize it. And yes, you definitely have to make a distinct um, goal to look and power gaze with somebody who's taller. So you often do have to step back a little bit.
0: Sir, I'm going to need you to sit down and have this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Or like my husband's six feet, right? And I mean, he and I have a very equal relationship. uh, So I don't don't feel a
2: need for this with him, but I can practice with him. You could practice with him. Just say, would you like to sit down and let's, why don't we sit down and discuss this? I don't care yeah. how you get them to sit. You know what? I, I hurt my foot the other day. Let's go sit down and discuss this. way anyway, you can equalize it. Yeah. But even in a sitting position, you want to make sure you're power gazing. And here's the other thing. I love when designers say, I just become friends with all of my clients. Okay, that's great. Become friends after you've gotten all your money. Okay, like get all Reach your money your sister. <laughs> Do not be like, oh buddy buddy and you know, just you are in charge of the process. And that's another big complaint. Designers say the client's just making me jump through hoops. They say something. I'm like you, they say jump, you say how I lie, because you haven't established you are confident in your process and they have to come into your process. You are a peer, you are not a subordinate. You're a peer with a specific skill set, just like they have their skill sets. So that's just one little trick um, with the eye contact. And and here's another one. It's a little hard with what's going on right now with COVID, but there is oxytocin released when you make eye contact with somebody. Oxytocin is the chemical that makes people happier, right? Makes them feel connected. So you want to make sure you do make eye contact with a client. And I suggest the first five to 10 minutes when you walk into someone's house, don't just pick up your pen and pad and start writing what they're saying. Spend five or 10 minutes just eye contact connecting with them. Make sure your feet, yes a little body language, your feet are actually facing them. If you ever want to know if someone's trying to get out of a conversation with you, just quickly glance down at their feet. Oh right? One foot will be facing another way, oh, like, how am I going to get out of this? And that's actually a tip for you too. It's one way for you to start getting out of it. Because even though we aren't trained, all of us, on reading body language, there's a reason why body language is the primary language, how we communicate with people. Mm -hmm. Because these subtle things do register in their psyche and they start to get the feeling that it's time to close a conversation. So that was one other little tip. But I was heading for haptics. Haptics is another way of saying the power of touch. It is proven that if a waitress or a waiter touches a patron, you know, did you enjoy everything today? Maybe on the back of the, the on their back, you know, they lean in, sure. did you enjoy it? Sure, appropriately. Appropriately, exactly, thank you. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, <laughs> their tips increase because, again, oxytocin is released when you touch somebody. So prior to COVID, it was super important. I taught this at every seminar to shake someone's hand look them in the eye smile and shake their hand now it's possibly an elbow it's a wave if you can't shake someone's hand make sure you always wave and have free hands when you walk in the door do not walk in with a ton of books a ton of bags make sure your hands are free because the power of trust and trust indicators start with your hands right think about it
0: rust indicators start with your hands i think about it
2: In, in in Caveman days, right? If you couldn't see someone's hands, that means they were holding a club with somebody (laughs) concealing a weapon if you can't see their hands. It's all about when you want to get a teacher's attention, you raise your hands, right? Hands are the first. If you see someone with both hands in their pocket, it's so bad. I don't trust anyone who stands around with their hands in their pocket, unless, of course, you do have to look at the conditions. If it's freezing and somebody's putting their hands in their pockets for that reason. Or if they're a very insecure person, sometimes they do that. So you do have to baseline somebody before you just make assumptions. But for you guys trying to make sales, keep your hands free. Wave at somebody if you can't shake their hand. Sometime during, you know, if they say something funny, touch them and say, oh, my God, that was so funny. Like, again, appropriately trying to get these little things in. This makes people trust you
0: this makes so much sense. I, and, and I, I know Leslie has lots of questions too. I just real quick, the logistics again in me is when I show up at a consultation and I did this recently, I usually am walking in with, um, well, I have a bag. I don't want like, your I shoulder. Usually, yeah. And then if I, so when I was by myself on this one, usually I have an assistant with me. And so she'll carry a bag. That's like her, our, site survey bag and it has all her stuff in it. But if I don't have somebody with me, I've got my like laptop bag and then the other one. So is it fair to say that like, as soon as you get in, set those things down two hands outward, like yes. the Michelle and Obama we, wave is like the warmest double hand wave. She does it every time she comes out on the stage. Like I could see that. Is that appropriate? Is that, does that do the job?
2: Yes. I've even told designers when they're bringing a ton of stuff again, first time, second time you're meeting a client, leave it right outside the door. So when they open the door, you can shake their hand, which again, now with COVID, that might be changing. Don't shake their hands right now, Um, but shake their hand or when they open the door, wave, smile, come in the house and say, oh, I just let me just get my stuff. I put it right down outside the door or immediately put it down when you're inside the door, put it on a chair, then turn around and pay attention. Like yeah, so nice yeah. to meet you. Wave your hands, you know, wave one hand, you have a beautiful home and then just look them in the eye and then stop being a, a really good listener as a really interesting statistic is, do you know Ted talks? I love oh, yeah. Ted talks. Oh yeah.
0: Okay. Are you talking about the so, arms in the air? What? Sorry. No, nope, That's just...
2: the power pose. I didn't yeah. even talk about yeah. that, but <laughs> Uh, That's another whole thing. But the most watched TED Talks have 465 hand gestures. The least watched TED Talks have 272. Think about that. Part of being a likable character, being an attractive character, being on video even for you guys and for me and for designers who are doing Facebook Lives, don't just sit there and just talk at the camera. Use your hands. Use your hands when you're talking to a client. Gesture. I have three choices for you, and you put up one finger. You go. The first choice is, and you say it. Then you put up two fingers. The second choice is. The third choice is, and you're using your fingers to indicate one, two, and three. If you're talking about which we talked about when we were coaching, um, low, medium, high. or, You know, when it comes to good, better, best. better best,
1: anything. Thank you. The I love best. this.
2: You just What you just did, but people can't see, it was good, was down, better is in the middle, best is on top. So you're, you're showing the levels with your hands. This allows somebody to not only hear your words, but cognitively absorb them. And again, showing your hands and having hand gestures makes them trust you more and makes them pay attention more, just like in a TED Talk. I'm so
1: glad you said that, Nancy, because I have my weekly Facebook live show, which was hugely in part encouraged by you. So thank you. And that I look at my videos and even my mom commented, she's like, I can watch you with the sound off and it's still really fun. I was like, well, it's kind of not the point, mom, but thanks anyway. But <laughs> I, you know, these subtle things that and I'm doing it now, of course, I've had my hands on my lap the whole time because this chair. Well, really anytime anyone talks but, to me,
2: suddenly their hand gestures yes, get like, okay, I, I was, was going to say,
0: the, if I... T- people can't see you. I, we should have maybe done a video version of this, but I, when you started talking about that, I'm like, oh my gosh, she naturally is using her hands the whole time you're talking. And it made me aware well, that might've been sitting in my lap this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, you're I'm, right, and well, they're
2: reflecting you. I'm also all Italian. So I think that came natural to
1: me. <laughs> but it. Leslie, so tell
2: me with your Facebook so oh, Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm all yeah. about the hand gestures, and it's funny because I sit in the same spot, but honestly, I'm on a really uncomfortable stool. I need to get a better chair in here, and when I'm doing an hour-long podcast, my hands are helping me not have my back hurt, but when I'm doing a five-minute show, I'm like, hand gestures and fingers and all sorts of crazy things, and I have looked back at the videos, and I didn't realize that that's—I mean, I, I was just like, that's just what I do when I get on camera— But that's a really good thing to build trust and to show my hands. And I'm like, I'm good, guys. Look at my fingers doing things for you here on camera. (laughs) I'll I'll keep doing that.
2: Because imagine if you reverse, like if you're saying something like, um, and people can't see my hands, but if you're saying, you know, this thing is, it's really big, but you're actually holding your fingers an inch apart. Mm -hmm. Like there's a disconnect there, right? Why is she holding her fingers an inch apart, yet she's saying big, right? So if your hand gestures are not congruent with what you're saying, you're also confusing people. So if you actually just say it's really big and have two of your hands opening up wide, or this one is really small and you put your two fingers one inch apart on one hand, your people just, they absorb what you're saying and they remember it more as well. So use your hand gestures, use haptics, the power of touch, use your power gaze, versus your social gaze, and you'll find you close many more sales in person than or on video than you have before. It literally puts the odds more in your favor. It will change your closing rate.
1: Nancy, when you're at one of those meetings, a consultation or some sort of conversation where the goal is to close, going on the flip side, are there any body language red flags to look for in a client, like something, and obviously you've taught us sort of the positives and some things to look for, mm-hmm. but any red flags that you've seen, you know, I've heard something like, you know, if your eyes start looking down and darting around, you're lying. I don't know if there's a whole lot of truth to that, but you know, are there things like that you can look at in other people just to kind of like, well, maybe this client isn't a good fit or there's some red flag here I need to be paying attention
2: to? So I am trained in lie detection as well. I'm not so badass. I didn't know that. I don't think I'm that good at it, (laughs) but I, I work on it because I start to try. But here's the thing: there are no, there are many things you can read about and research, and they'll say, "Oh, if somebody touches their nose, they're lying," because when they're lying, the blood rushes out of their face and their nose gets itchy. But guess what? You have to baseline somebody first. That person may touch their nose in regular daily conversation because they have allergies. And now you're like, yeah. Oh my God, Notice how I'm going to say he touched his nose. He's lying. Right? So be careful not to assume everything you read means they're lying. If you haven't baseline somebody, which again, this is something you have to practice and be trained on, but let's, I'll give you one really simple thing. Yes. If they're dotting around after they've been making eye contact with you, after you've talked about your prices, And they start darting around and their feet are facing the door or or out of the conversation (laughs) and their hands are under the table and they've had a shift in their body language. And this is where observation is really key for you guys. You have to observe how calm and comfortable or how nervous and what little habits they have as you first meet them and then as they get more comfortable. And then, yes, if there's a shift in that, that's one thing, but one really neat neat little simple thing is if you're handing them your your contract or your proposal in person and they take it and they look at it and they put it down on the table and push it forward, okay, well, we'll call you. Pushing it forward, kind of like in a poker hand, if anyone plays poker, it's kind of like throwing it away subconsciously. They're, they're literally like, rejecting they're
1: it. They're pushing it, it away really from that. them.
2: They don't even know they're doing it. Like, I can baseline somebody's lie detection tells when I they know I'm doing it. Like, I want to, I'm going to ask you to do these following things, and now I'm asking you to lie, and they know I'm doing it, and they don't want me to detect their tell, which is how you can tell someone is lying. Everybody's got little nervous ticks, and I can still detect, so... It's really fascinating. So that's one little trick. If they hold it, if they hold it down and sort of press down on it, keep it close to them, that means they're pretty happy with it. They're like keeping it. So that's one little
0: trick. So fascinating. Well, you you kind of touched on one of my questions around congruency. So I have read, um, I forget the actual name of it. I've mentioned it on the show before. It's a body language book. It's one of the famous ones, but um, congruency is this idea of uh, you used the example a minute ago. If somebody says that it's, it's really big, but then they signal something different. Right. Like oh, that, that could be a, de- a determination of a possible lie. Is that?
2: Well, yeah. In that, in that example, it probably is just, not a smart person, but in the example of <laughs> because someone would do that just I, to lie. I have, five, I have three reasons for exactly. holding,
0: holding up a hand with five fingers, y'all.
2: So but here's here's one that oh it's great to watch politicians with this one. Right. Oh my gosh. So oh. if they if they and I, I love watching the news if I'm like in the mood to like analyze body language, but if someone is saying, um no, really, I did that. And their head is shaking. I didn't do that. If they say, no, I really didn't do that. Their head should be shaking right to left. Like a no, I really didn't do that. But if their head's kind of going, you know, no, I really didn't do that. But they're shaking their head up and We're down. A little bit. I do this with my
0: right? four-year-old all the time. It's like, Mona, did you get into the bubble gum? And she nods her head yes while saying no,
1: Say no. <laughs>
0: busted
2: <laughs> exactly and you can see this and when you're watching these dating if you ever watch any dating shows on tv oh my god so much fun be like i had a really good time but they're shaking their head <laughs> shaking and, no but they're yeah. saying i had a really good time and they think they're saying it sincerely they're leaning forward but their head's shaking back left and right like a no but they're saying so if you like if you're really sincere you're like my God, I had a really good time. And you're nodding up and down. You're not going right to left. So it's really, that's like another really fascinating thing to watch. And again, with people who are interested in you, their whole body, you know, their body's going to be facing you. They're not going to be facing away from you.
0: Yeah.
2: So those are things you can watch for with clients. And we can make a lot of jokes about how it works in all kinds of areas of your sure, life, but it is, it does. It's body language. So well, and I love has... this
0: idea of, as you're starting to become more aware of body language and paying attention to it, all of the different ways that you can study it. Besides just these opportunities for in client meetings, you can watch people on TV or politicians or dating shows or your children, <laughs> or your spouse. you know, it's everywhere. Fine. It's every interaction <laughs> that you have. So, um, there's one more thing that you mentioned a minute ago that I wanted to come back to, and that is around this idea of context. So for example, um, it, it's my understanding that um, people who aren't really knowledgeable about um, body language can misjudge someone's behaviors if they don't take it into context. You call it a baseline. Sure. So for example, you know, I was told many years ago that when somebody has their arms crossed, it, it means that they're really tuned out of the conversation or uninterested, but, um, you, you, you need to look at the person in context of, we mentioned cold, like the weather, or is this just how they stand? Do they have a very friendly voice and there are other signs that they're giving that they actually are engaged and tuned in? Um, Correct. Is, so, so can you just speak a moment about mm-hmm. a little bit more about context and how to make sure that we're not misusing the information or not getting the
2: full picture? And again, you can't just go into body language like and read something and make it fact. You really do have to. It's a good observation to have. It's fun as can be. But you have to be careful not to always make decisions based on just the first time you meet someone or the first 10 minutes. So if someone's got their arms crossed, yeah, that's a closed body language where they don't want to talk to somebody maybe or they don't want to be noticed. So that could be someone who suffers from anxiety disorder. Uh, social anxiety. It, it could also be they're standing online at the pharmacy and they've got their hands crossed across their body because they just don't feel good, right? So yeah, they're trying to ward off people coming and talking to them. Um, it, it could be they're bored with what you're saying, or it could just be that's their habit of how they stand because they're not comfortable having their hands just hanging at their sides, mm-hmm. right? So that goes back to being socially anxious so don't make assumptions when you first meet somebody based on any of these tips I gave today. We're actually putting together a body language course. It's, oh gosh, um, it's, sign me oh, up. I'm so excited. The slides are almost done. Uh, we're breaking it down into modules that are bite-sized so people can understand that because it's really like, it's a lot, it's actually a lot of information. So, and it's only even still my, my course is only a piece of the bigger puzzle, mm-hmm. but It'll be more knowledge than most people have. And the goal really for me as a business coach is to teach people the parts of body language that can really help with their marketing and their sales and their networking and their presentation and to become that attractive business owner Um, and know how to read people appropriately just as a piece of the puzzle, as a clue to how they're perceiving you so you can shift gears with how you're presenting to have more success. Right, so that's really the goal for me.
0: Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating! I could literally <laughs> sit here and talk about this all day long.
2: Me too. <laughs> and, uh,
0: yeah, no, I I can see why um, you're fascinated in it, and we're so grateful that you've gone through this training so that you can help people like us really, um, you know, start to incorporate this into our everyday lives and our our business. So, um. Thanks so much for being here. This was fun. I, I, I hate to wrap up, but I want to be able to share with people. So if our listeners want to know more about working with you and learn about body language, where, where uh, can they find you?
2: Okay. So if you're an interior designer, Where I'm most accessible and seen is the Interior Design Business Forum Facebook group. It's about 65 or 6,400 interior design industry professionals at this point. So that is the first spot. I'd suggest you go find the Interior Design Business Forum Facebook group. If you're a coach or a consultant or service-based industry, you can start joining the Coaching Hotspot Facebook group. And of course, my name, Nancy Ganzekoffer, is my website.com, my Instagram is my name, my Pinterest is my name, my LinkedIn is my name. So, Nancy Ganzakoff, just Google me. And it's a, you, you it's a unique
0: name. We will be yeah. sure to link to all of those
1: places on our yeah. um on our podcast episode. I
2: miss you guys. I
1: miss you, Nancy. This has been <laughs> such a pleasure to reconnect with you.
2: Thanks for having me. It's very exciting. Well, I'm excited I love to, to watch your podcast
1: about the body language and, uh, just dive in more of that with you. So thank you for sharing. I mean, I feel like you just gave some incredible information, even these few little tips. I know I'm going to go start applying. I got to work on my gazing. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it's wonderful. So thank you so much, Nancy.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me ladies.
1: Hey, designer, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. We'd love to hear your feedback and are so grateful that you're sharing the show with your designer friends.
0: For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, head over to designersgettingcoffee.com for show notes, free downloads, and more. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at designersgettingcoffee.